Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the Study Religion Podcast. My name is Erica Bennett, and I am a current student in the Religion and Culture Master's Program at the University of Alabama. This is the third episode to a special series on jobs after graduate school in the humanities. Take a listen to episode one, where Jacob Barrett and I listened to Bradley Summer describe his experience with the job market after a PhD program in history. And in episode two, we listened to Pamela Gilbert talk on her experience advising students going into the job market as a tenured English professor. In this episode, Jacob and I explore the experience of a student leaving a graduate program before completion. We listen to Jared Powell explain his decision to leave his PhD program and what he plans to do next. So what stuck out with you the most during Pamela's interview? I think the thing that was most interesting to me about Pamela's, um, your conversation with Pamela was how this problem of the academic job market, um, especially in the humanities, has been a problem for a while, that it was a problem back when Pamela was first hitting the job market, um, and that it's not just a new thing that's happening now and that people hitting the job market right now are facing, that it's been a problem that's been around and we still have not found successful ways to prepare graduate students um, for entering a job market where there aren't jobs. It seems like students and faculty are all trying their best, but there are still issues between what the departments are actually doing for their students and what the larger institutions are doing to aid those departments and those students and those faculty. I also think there is kind of an issue with what faculty know about the jobs outside of academia. And the overall sense that there's this like horrid state of the job market has been kind of pushed under the rug for way too long. Absolutely. And, you know, I think we've heard from some people who have experienced um, what's going on right now in the job market. Um, And I guess I am kind of now wondering, like, what do I need to know um, or be prepared for if I realize partway through my PhD program that you know, I maybe want to pursue a career outside of academia. Um, So I wonder, are there students who have not finished their program going through 
or decided to finish the PhD, but ended up somewhere else um, and kind of found a different career path. Yeah, I think I know exactly who we should talk to, a UA graduate, Jared Powell. So my name is Jared Powell. He was actually just at UNC Chapel Hill for his PhD program in English. Let me talk with him and maybe some of these questions will be answered. I studied, I did my undergrad at the University of Alabama. I have a bachelor's. I was a double major in English and religious studies. And then I stuck around at Alabama for my first master's in English. So BA and MA from from UA. And then I started a PhD program in English at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And just this past May, I decided to leave that program early and I've graduated with a, a second master's in English from, from UNC. Yeah. yeah. So um, why did you decide to go into a PhD program? Yeah. So I decided to go into a PhD program because for the longest time I thought that I wanted to be a teacher ever since high school, really, I decided I wanted to be a teacher back then. I thought I wanted to teach high school. Um, and then I got into, you know, went to undergrad and did the double major and really got into English. English was kind of what I wanted to teach when I decided that I wanted to be the teacher right. or whatever. And I had, you know, several, I have several cousins that are teachers and they said, you should definitely get a master's because you can get paid more. So went into my master's still thinking I kind of wanted to teach high school and was just doing it to get paid more. But over the course of the master's um, really decided that college, the college levels where I wanted to, to teach and to be an instructor and really enjoyed the research that I did in my master's. I mean, I did plenty of research in undergrad as well, but it really, I don't know, it took on a whole different level in the master's. And so that's when I decided to continue that and do the PhD. I went in fully wanting to be a professor. Um, kind of always thought I would end up like at the, like at the liberal arts college sort of level there because I really enjoy the research but I really was always drawn more to the teaching I think um so yeah I went in wanting to be a professor and yeah as you guys know you got you got to do the PhD to do that so in most fields at least recently like we talked about you just recently left your PhD program and if you don't mind, could you explain that decision for us? Why, uh, maybe not everything that led up to that, but what were the deciding factors in leaving this program? Yeah, there were many factors. It was, it was many things kind of coming to head at once. I'll try to hit the main ones, though. I'll say first, it started with with the pandemic. The pandemic hit um, the spring twenty twenty was my last semester of coursework and you know in in english at least i don't know what it's like in religious studies or in other humanities fields but in english we teach that's that's you know, that's how we get paid so i was also teaching two classes that semester i think um and without going into too much detail i can say that just mental health took a huge toll in the pandemic and found myself losing a lot of interest, a lot of drive and just doing 
my exam prep, my reading for my exams. I missed being in person. I missed seeing colleagues and just having casual conversations with colleagues and all of a sudden was just stuck at home reading, grading, teaching. I love teaching and I love my students. And really the students are what got me through the pandemic, but I did not enjoy teaching online for many of these reasons. Just I need that in-person contact, I think, to, to thrive, at least in the classroom setting. So there was that. There was just because of the pandemic, losing a lot of that drive um, to do the work. Then there was also seeing people who were a couple years ahead of me, my friends in the program who I thought were, quite frankly, much better job candidates than I am and who are on the job market, not even land single the first interview. That was really disheartening. I always kind of had this, you know, been told by so many people, oh, the job market's terrible, the job market's terrible. But it was kind of just this vague future issue and like we'll cross that bridge when we get there and now suddenly that bridge was was fast approaching um and that was just that was really disheartening and and yeah i'd say those were probably the two main reasons and 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 then as well just seeing this kind of greater anti-higher education discourse i think in in our political moment is, is yeah just that's tied in with the pandemic and that's tied in with other things. So that it all just was, was kind of disheartening for me. Yeah. Oh, and, and one other thing maybe to add to the last one, not only seeing how bleak and, you know, sorry to any listeners who are in graduate school, but yeah, seeing how bleak the, the academic job market is, but then also on the other hand, seeing, you know, my wife and my other friends who are not in this job market and who were, thriving, you know, the, the, the outside academic job market over the pandemic with work from home and, and all these different things, people are, you know, moving around, getting higher raises and things like that. And just seeing friends thrive and thinking like, okay, maybe I want that. So you're in this, like, right, we're in the pandemic. It's hard. We're, (laughs) we're struggling and you see, okay, this job market is not what I need. It's not what I'm looking for. So knowing that you might need to get a job outside of the university system, what help, if any, did you receive from your program or your college or your university as a whole? I, you know, I'd say the assistance was, was kind of a mixed bag. I think there wasn't much like official institutional assistance, either from my department or from the college, the university at any level. If it's out there, I had a lot of, you know, I didn't find it and I looked. So, you know, maybe there's something, but it's not easy to find. Um, For instance, in my department, we have robust job support, a whole group that meets monthly, I think, for the academic job market and prepping CV, prepping uh, you know, letters and, and statements and things like that. And we don't have that for, for the non-academic job market. We, they occasionally brought in um, speakers, which, you know, that was very helpful. They brought in just a few months ago, actually, my department brought in um, a speaker from the business school at UNC to talk about, you know, some of these things. How do we start to market ourselves and if we're making that decision, which was great. But it's kind of it's it's 
that sort of stuff happened occasionally. It wasn't a regular thing. Yeah. And I can think of one instance also where we had like a panel of recent graduates from our program, one of which was a professor, the other two were not. And that was great, but that was organized by graduate students, by the the graduate student organization. Um, So as far as an institutional level of support, I didn't have much in that regard. And I don't think that that's unique to to where I was. I think that that's, uh, again, I did a master's at another institution as well. And it was the same way there, I'd say in my department, um, in my English department at Alabama, not much institutional support, even for the for the MA students who most of the ones who were there with me were doing kind of what I was planning at that time, getting this to be a high school teacher. So they were kind of doing, you know, not the higher ed, but anyway. Um, now, on the other hand, I did have some some great support on the individual level. Like when I told my faculty advisors and my committee that this was my plan, there was very much, you know, admitting, okay, you know, we've only ever been professors. All of my committee members happen to have all always been professors. There were some faculty members in my department that have done other careers and come into this, yeah. but that, they weren't on my committee. And so they all said, you know, this is all we've ever done professionally, but we'll help you however we can. And we think this is the right decision and, and definitely, you know, no shame or anything. They were very helpful and very encouraging yeah. and, trying to connect me with with people that they knew or sending me job offers that they thought or job listings rather that they thought I might be a good fit for. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the support was from individuals and, you know, even then there was a limit to what they could to understandably, you know, I, I, I don't blame them because yeah, they've been in this career for a long time. Yeah. How can I expect them to, to really know others? They were never trained outside of what, like what they were training you for. That's exactly probably their upbringing into the system as well. Right. I feel um, after talking with you and then also talking with um, Somer, it seems like there's a disconnect between the individuals, like the professors trying their best to help acknowledging the system, and then a disconnect between them and the institution as a whole. Right? Does that make sense? Like, do you think there is this like disconnect happening? Yeah, I agree. You know, I went to the Career Center and I've sent students to the Career Center before. And I think it's wonderful for undergraduate students, but I didn't have a great experience as a graduate student going there. You know, I went there to talk about how to turn my CV into a resume. And, you know, the person they paired me with was was pretty sure it was, you know, an undergraduate student intern who gave good advice, but not the advice I needed. You know, it was the kind of the advice that a freshman or a junior, you know, an undergraduate might need preparing their resume um, from scratch, not trying to pivot like I was doing. Um, Yeah, I think the resources at the Career Center were definitely more aimed for undergraduate students who are building a resume from scratch, who aren't, you know, trying to career pivot. I mean, that's what I'm doing is career is pivoting my career. There's all this emphasis in For the undergraduates, I noticed it at Alabama. I noticed it here at UNC to the undergrads, to the English majors saying, because all the parents, my parents did it too. You know, what are you going to do with an English degree? What are you going to do with a religious studies degree? And there was so much emphasis in undergrad on, oh, you can do all these things with an English degree. But for some reason, that just stopped once we got into graduate school. And 
it's just like, okay, I mean, I guess the assumption is if you're in a PhD program, you're going to be a professor and the whole, you can do other things mentality that they do for undergrads just kind of doesn't happen. Yeah, that I have seen that. That does make sense because of course you can do things. We all have very marketable skills, but if you're going to tell me I can do everything with an English degree, I can do so many things with a religious studies degree, you're going to have to help me see what those other things are. I, I may not know because I haven't been through college before. I don't have a job. So yeah, I think that, yeah, I never thought about that of like, oh, you can do everything. But what is that everything? I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50 percent off yeah and i think um yeah to get back to the point about the disconnect between the individual professors and whoever versus an institutional way of helping um i think it's like the first step that has to happen is recognizing those individuals that are able to you know like i said we have some faculty members who have done other careers and come to academia and so have some experience. Departments, I think, should be making committees with those faculty members, bringing those in to speak to their graduate students. I'm sure they're already bringing them in to speak to their undergrads, to bring them into their graduate students as well. Um, and yeah, I think like that's, that's the first place to start, perhaps. My next question would be, what skills have been useful to learn while in your PhD that are preparing you for the job market outside of academia. Um, just like looking on the upside, what skills yeah. do you think you have now? Yeah, well, you know, and full disclosure, still looking for that job. Yeah. So so can't say for sure what's helped me get the job, but I can say what I hope will help me get the job. Um, the ability to to write well and to you know, to write in all sorts of different modes and in, 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 in genres. I think, um, at least for the types of jobs I'm applying to, the ability to, to research, research skills are, I'm really trying to bring those forward. Um, and this is a, a spin that that I keep trying to push and that others that I've talked to in this process have, you know, mentioned how, as I said, in, in, in the English, both in my master's and in my PhD in English, we teach a lot. I, I teach most semesters. I taught two classes a semester and all those interpersonal skills of, of interacting with students yeah. Yeah. and managing it's project management. I like to think it is at least I'm trying to, to at least make that case in my job applications that that's project management experience in a way. Um, 
And so those sorts of those interpersonal skills and, you know, keeping up with, you know, I've got 19 students or 20 students, however many students in a class who are all doing, yeah, they're all doing working on the same assignment, but each assignment has its own twist because it's their individual thing. And I'm going to keep track of that and who struggles with this and who excels at this and, and bring all those threads together. Um, to me, those skills, those classroom management skills seem important to all sorts of to applications outside of, of academia. Yeah. Now, did you uh, sit and reflect on these skills and say, hey, oh, classroom management, that's just project management? Or did you have someone outside uh, yourself help you see and acknowledge that? Yeah, it's a combination. Um, some of these things yeah, I've, I've come to that on my own and thinking about, okay, how do I pivot this and others? It's, I've, I've been grateful to, you know, as I said, individual professors have put me in touch with people and those people have really helped. Um, I've, I've just been struck by how generous people have been with their time and giving advice. Um, yeah. So it's been a combination of reflecting on these skills and also talking to others who have been in the similar situation, like the, one of the, one of my main contacts has been very helpful, has his PhD in history from UNC and now works in product in digital product management at, uh, I forget some bank, I forget which one. Um, and he's been very helpful in pointing to, you know, the skills that we have as academics that he used, but then the ones I haven't thought of or confirming the ones I have thought of. So I'd say it's a combination of self-reflection, but also advice from, from peers who have been through this. You have a great point, though, that we have great professors. They're great humans. We know great humans outside of academia. But is it does it need to fall on their shoulders that we're trying to find these jobs? I I think it certainly doesn't need to fall on the students' shoulders. We're, you know, we're underpaid, overworked. Um, I think that, you know, depart every level of a university, the department level, the co- the college level, the university as a whole level. They keep all these. They keep track of their alumni and who what the alumni are doing. And you know, it's time to pull on those networks. Those on on those alumni networks. Uh, sure, students can do that. They can hop on LinkedIn and they can and they can search whatever. But um, I think that the institutions bear some of this response, uh, uh, they should bear this responsibility and to pull on these networks and, and do, and do that sort of work. What would you say was the best advice and the worst advice you received while on your academic journey and now into your career journey? Yeah. Well, the best advice was advice I didn't follow. Um, but looking back on it, it's the best advice that was, um, one of my my undergraduate thesis advisor and one of my my absolute favorite professor at UA in English at least as an undergrad, um, you know, when I told him I want to go to to graduate school, he said, "You know, are you sure?" And this was kind of the first taste of the the my first uh, sit down and have the job market talk, I guess. And he said, you know, he pushed me, he said, I think you should do law school. You should do something else. If there's anything else you can imagine yourself doing besides graduate school right now, I think you should try that first. Take a year or two and do something else. And then if you still want to go back, go back. And, 
you know, how a 21, 22 year old Jared was just like, that's absurd. I know what I want to do. I'm not listening to you. How dare you? But, uh, I, I wish I'd listened to that advice. I think all the time that I, I need it. Cause I just did it straight through undergrad master's PhD and I needed a break and should have taken a break at some point, um, to think about what else was out there that I could do, um, and can be happy doing. And so that was the best advice that I did not follow and now wish I had followed. Um, and you know, if I had listened to it, then maybe I still would have decided after that year or two that, that grad school is for me probably would have, to be honest. Um, worst advice. Oh, yeah, I'd say there's not really been any bad advice, but there's been uh, there's been lack of advice, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Do you think if PhD programs were set up differently and faculty were equipped to mentor students heading to all different career types, that you would have needed the break that you wish you would have reconsidered? So do you think it's a structural thing or just like, I know you need a break from school anyways. Um, I mean, I think a break from school still would have been nice just to have a break from school. Um, That's something I tell all of my students, no matter if they're considering graduate school at all. Um, I don't quite get into the job market talk with with them because I don't know, something about a graduate student. I, I save that for their for their professor advisors. But I do tell them, you know, I think that. I wish I had taken that break. That is a good question, though. If it wouldn't have been necessary in the same ways, I think, if my program or my institution were set up to give this sort of um, assistance and help, that that yeah, that that Jacob's question is is uh, and and one that we've been talking about. I I think a break probably still would have been nice, but it would have been more of a you know what, let's just take some time and chill out more than a let's take some time to explore other career options what do you think departments and institutions could do better to help their students moving forward yeah moving forward i think drawing on those networks they have alumni networks bring those in um you know, like I said, my in my department graduate students organized a panel of graduate of recent graduates have that be a semesterly or at the least yearly event and have the department be doing, you know, bringing these people in. Um, So there's that. I think there's what I'd love to see is so many of my, you know, fellow graduate students, myself included, we don't get paid in the summer. And so we seek out work in the summer. Often it's internships of some type. I did my first summer here at UNC. I did an internship. Um, well, the, 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 the unit within, within units UNC that I did my internship doesn't exist anymore, but it was the center for global initiatives. It's now been reorganized into a broader UNC global, I believe. Um, but so this Altac aimed internship specifically aimed for first, second year PhD students and worked with, uh, you know, opening access to to international opportunities for for um, traditionally marginalized groups, and and so like I did that internship. 
And the reason I found out about it was because of a friend who was in the program a year before me did it. And I told someone after me, and, and it's been a chain of, of English grad students at UNC that have had that internship for like the past four years. And I can think, and, you know, other friends have done other internships in the summer. So we're already doing this thing. If they can find a way to give us credit, you know, credit hours for that, or, you know, some sort of, I don't know, degree certificate, you know, something along those lines to recognize that that's work. That's not just a side hustle to get you through the summer. Like that's legitimate work that can lead to your career. And then I think just like being open to change. I think that, that we think of academia as this liberal place, free thinking place to be. But I was involved in some student government last year and been, and so sat in on a lot of uh, meetings that involved all sorts of people at all sorts of levels of the university and things are slow to change. Things that need to change are slow to change sometimes. And I think that this is one of them that we need to be listening to the needs of the graduate students and, and willing to yeah, adjust the curriculum yeah. or adjust our practices for helping students find jobs and things like that so that they, they're, the, the needs are met. Yeah. What are your next steps? What jobs are you looking at? What do you think you're interested in now? More just like a, a fun little like get to know Jared. <laughs> he just Yeah. So... One hobby that I picked up over the pandemic was digital art, like 3D art and 3D modeling and pixel art and a little bit of teaching myself some game development. And so that is um, the industry I'm trying to break in. Like that's my dream industry right now is I'm trying to break into the video game industry, ideally as a writer, a narrative designer, something like that, kind of drawing on that knowledge of literature and those research yeah. skills um, I'm also looking more broadly at, at tech here in the planning to stay in the, in the research triangle. And there's lots of tech jobs around here. So yeah. tech, technical writer, um, learning and development, those sorts of jobs that really capitalize on the skills from the, from graduate school. Do you have anything else, uh, that is on your mind that you would like to say before we finish the recording? Yeah, I think I, I, I really like the point that, that the disconnect between the individuals wanting to help and the institution laying the groundwork to do that help. Because, you know, like my professors, my advisor, my committee have been incredibly helpful and supportive these last six, seven months since I told them my plan, eight months, I guess, since I told them my plans. Um, and I'm forever grateful for that. And yeah, I, I, I just... I hope that they can, that, and again, not just UNC, not just UA, but I think this is everywhere, departments everywhere in the humanities and probably in other fields as well, you know, can find a way to harness those individuals and make something, institutions are made of individuals, I guess. And so the individuals with the mind to do this work are there. It's just a matter of bringing them together and giving them the resources they need so that it can become an institutional thing. And I think it can be done. It's just, it's gonna, it'll, it'll take some work. The interview with Jared really shows just how unprepared students are to leave the academy. We have acknowledged that the academic job market is hard to succeed in. We, we are not preparing students to expand their job search horizons. 
Jared explained that it is not a problem an individual can fix. These are issues that go deep through the departments, through the entire institutions that the departments are a part of. The skills Jared has gained are extremely applicable to so many jobs outside academia, but he had to figure that out practically by himself, with, of course, those closest to him offering all the help they could, but that still didn't seem like enough. Jared really echoed some of the issues that Bradley experienced. So to me, that shows that issues facing graduate students after graduation are systemic issues, not a sparse problem experienced within some humanities department. Do you think that people can thrive in non-academic jobs after a PhD program? Actually, that makes me think of Shannon Trosper-Shorey. She got her PhD from uh, UNC Chapel Hill and is working outside of the academy right now. Yeah, I'm Shannon Trosper-Shorey. So I went to a meetup about watching horror movies. And we would just go to this like random house in Raleigh and watch horror movies with 20 other people. Um, and one of them worked at Red Hat and she posted the job on her Facebook. And I said, okay, you know what? Next time on this special series of the Study Religion podcast, we listen to Shannon Trosper Shorey, a UNC Chapel Hill PhD graduate who has transitioned into a job outside the academic system and hear her advice on humanities graduates who wish to do the same. The Study Religion podcast is a production of the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Alabama. This episode was made with the help of Jared Powell, Jacob Barrett, and Erica Bennett. Follow the Department of Religious Studies on Twitter and Instagram at Study Religion, or on Facebook at facebook.com rel at UA. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, and give us a rating and review. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.